I'm an entrepreneur with a mission to share unique business experiences, tips of the trade, and entrepreneurial advice through fun and easygoing conversations with pros and peers. I'm Cassie, and I'm your host. Let's grab drinks after work every Thursday as we banter and brainstorm. With a shot of business and a splash of pleasure, this is the Mastermind Mixer. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Mastermind Mixer. This will be the official 10th episode and final episode of season two. I will be doing it alone and it'll feel a little bit different than our previous business focused um, episodes. So as you may have noticed, there's been a big break between the last episode and this one. And that is because we have had some really personal like life changing things happening. So I wanted to address those, tie the season up in a bow and kick off 2024 with a solid foundation for season three. So I have tried to record this podcast episode multiple times, and I just think the best way to do it is to start from the beginning, um, which leads us to moving across the country from California to Virginia. Um, We are a military family, so moving is normal for us, and that's not the weird part. Once we got to Virginia, um, we were waiting on our household goods. We had to buy um, a washer and dryer when we got here, and I will say we have probably owned more washers and dryers than the average person because every house is different. You know, is it gas? Is it, you know, whatever. So we were laughing about that um, as we were, as we were buying it. Um, We get back to the house and um, none of our stuff is here. There's no movers here or anything. So the washer and dryer unit needed to be moved to the second story. And um, who is more qualified to do that than myself um, alongside my husband? So we geared up to move the washer up the stairs. We attempted to use a dolly from a neighbor and it just like wasn't working. The landing was too tight. The washer was like just as wide as the landing and it was a, a mess. So we heaved and we hoed and we did all of the things that you do when you're moving a very hot, heavy object up the stairs. Um, and surprise, surprise, I hurt my back. So that was at the end of August and um, I was kind of battling through it. I have some back issues from playing college sports and so I didn't think too much about it, but it just was not getting better and I I couldn't figure out what to do. Like I was, you know, heating pads, ice packs, um, medicine, and it just, it was nagging so, so much more than I, I was used to. So um, we were also gearing up to celebrate my mom's 60th birthday. So we were hosting a party for her in um, my hometown um, on September 9th. So we drove home and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make the drive home because my back was hurting so bad. But anyway, we, we did make it home. We were able to celebrate with her. It was really fun. I got to spend the whole day with her. Um, and we drove back with the girls um, because the movers were coming with all of our household goods. So we'd been here for close to a month, but we still didn't have anything in the house. Um, so now we're a month in to my back injury and it's still not better. The, we get back here um, the day before the movers get here. They are here um, on, I think, the 11th of September. Um, no, it was the 12th of September. So they get here on the 12th of September. And 
by the end of day one, like I can't sit comfortably and I can't stand comfortably. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Um, so I tell Mark when the movers leave, like, Hey, I'm just going to go to the ER. Like it's been too long. Like I shouldn't be in this much pain. And, um, he's like, sounds great. So I go to the ER around 4 PM on the 12th and I was there for eight hours. (laughs) It was a really, really long, um, stay. I had, I had anticipated the long stay. So I had like brought my computer and I was working throughout the whole thing. Um, so I get taken back and it's basically like there's the ER and then they have this other area that's like, okay, you're at the ER, but it's not urgent. And that's where I was sat. Um, which was really nice. It was comfortable. Um, they were attentive. Everything was great. I had a really great experience that ER visit. Um, the physician came in, asked me what was going on. And I kind of had this thought in the back of my head of like, well, let me just mention everything while I'm here. So um, to give you context to that, I had been dealing with some lower abdominal pain, um, but I have a history of ovarian cysts. So I didn't think anything about it, to be honest. Um, I tried to go address it with my family physician in California. And I just, I went back and forth with them so much. I had two transvaginal ultrasounds and she was like, yep, it's a cyst. Um, I asked for a referral to um, see a gynecologist and she gave me the referral, but didn't inform me she had given me the referral. So at the time of that, Mark was deployed. I had the kids by myself. Um, so it fell off my radar. It felt like another like, oh, I've asked for this and you've not done it. So let's move on. And when I followed up, she was like, oh yeah, I gave that to you. But by the time she told me it had expired. And at that point I was I was done. So I, I said, you know what? I'll figure this out when I get to California. So obviously in hindsight, I can also remember when we were traveling cross country, um, we were like in Zion National Park or something. I, I can't exactly remember, but I remember the scenery being like beautiful and we were having a really good road trip. And I got this pain in my stomach, like where the seatbelt was. And I was like, oh, like it was really like, it took my breath away. And I chalked it up as the cyst rupturing because that was something that I experienced as well. And it didn't last very long. So, um, kind of chalked it up for that and moved on. So now we're in the ER and I'm like, Hey, so I have this abdominal pain. Like since I'm here, like I'm here for my back, but like might as well check my abdominal pain too. And I, I knew that the back pain didn't relate to the abdominal pain because I could pinpoint an event that caused the back pain, which was moving of the washer. So she's like, Hey, uh, she does like, let me do an exam. So she does an exam, um, presses on my stomach and I like jump off the table. Like it, it hurt really, really bad. And I was like, Oh, that's never happened before. Like, that's not my normal, um, you know, practice when it comes to this ovarian cyst stuff. Like it's normally not painful to the touch. So She's like, hey, I just want to rule out pancreatitis. Um, So let's do a CT um, and also see if anything comes up with your back. So I'm like, cool, sounds great. Still, like nothing is on my radar of concern. Um, I do the CT and that led to a um, transvaginal ultrasound with the ultrasound tech. And I I will remember these girls. I, I kind of hope not kind of, I, I do hope that I had some type of impact on their career because I think now knowing what they saw, I think that it was probably, um, beneficial for them and educational for them. 
But anyway, I had two techs that were in school and um, they asked me if it would be okay if they performed the ultrasound. I said, absolutely. Um, there was a lot of chatter, like, is this what you're doing? You know, it was, it was educational. So um, obviously they can't tell me what they see on the screen. They were delightful. They did not lead me to believe that anything was of concern. Uh, I knew that they were measuring stuff. So I assumed that they were measuring the cysts, um, didn't think anything about it. So I went back to the the waiting room and that little like safe area of like emergency, non-emergency stuff and working along, I'm like, man, it's been a long time. Like, oh, you know, and then um, they did some blood work and it came back that I was dehydrated. So I got an IV, like just random, like random stuff. Right. So they also gave me um, a, like a shot of morphine and it like, I was like woozy, but that wore, they gave me that like not long after I got there and that wore off before I left just to give you a context of how long I was there. So, um, <laughs> so now I'm in the waiting room. It's almost midnight or after. And, um, the physician comes in again and she sits down next to me and she says, I'm not saying you have cancer but I'm saying you need to go see an oncologist right away. And I was like, what about my back? <laughs> Cause I was just still like, honestly, probably in a little bit of shock and like denial. I'm like, this isn't cancer. Like it's just my ovarian cyst, like whatever. So, um, she was like, don't waste any time. Like here, she gave me a referral sitting there. Um, I'd also just switched insurances. Um, if you're in the military space, TRICARE has TRICARE Prime and TRICARE Select. I actually don't know if it's still called Prime, but Select allows you to select your physicians. Prime, I believe is what it's called, um, requires you to get referrals for everything. So after my experience in California, I was like, I really want control of who I can see and when I can see them. So thankfully I had done that. And then um, she gave me the referral in the ER and I went home and I woke Mark up and I was crying. And I said, they said I might have cancer. And he like, bless his heart. He like was in a fog, like basically like fell right back asleep. Like it'll be fine. Like we'll talk about it tomorrow. So we wake up the next day and I tell him everything that had gone on and I make my appointment for the oncologist. Um, so now it's September 13th, which was my mom's actual 60th birthday. Um, shout out to my mom. And I didn't have a lot of answers. She was gearing up to speak at a very large conference and it was a, a really big deal. So I, I didn't want to worry her. I, I had a feeling that she would cancel everything uh, if I told her. So I just, I held on to it a little bit. Um, I held on to it in general from quite a few people for at least a few days um, but the oncology office got me in very quickly. So by the end of that week, I, they were reading my CT and, um, you know, everything that had gone on at the ER. So, uh, when I walked into the oncologist the first time he has me go through everything that happened and he was like, well, I think we, you know, we learned something here. And I thought he was going to say like, you know, it's, it's better to keep getting checked. Like da, da, da. He was like, I think we're too old to be moving washers and dryers. <laughs> it's like, Oh, thanks. Thanks doc. Um, anyway, so 
then we go through it all and we have a plan. And that plan is to do surgery. My oncologist was a surgical oncologist who basically told me that ovarian cancer is a silent killer because it's majority, like it's found by accident most of the time. And um, he said, I think that we should do a laparoscopic surgery um, with permission to do a hysterectomy if necessary. But the goal is to um, get you, you know, get you back. Like, hopefully we caught this quickly is what I'm saying. So get you back where you need to be as quickly as possible um, with the least amount of invasion to your body. Um, I said, great, sounds good. Uh, when do we do this? And it was early October that we scheduled. So it was a couple weeks after that appointment um, that I had my first surgery. Obviously, in between that, I updated my whole family and it was a shock. Um, I am 36 years old with two very little kids. Um, so it was a lot. It was a lot. Sorry. Um, I was really going to try not to be emotional on this. Um, that's why I think I'm feeling a little robotic with uh, the timeline, but bear with me. So um, I had my first surgery. I was nervous for surgery. Um, one of the leading reasons why we chose not to have any more kids after our second one is because I had a really hard time recovering from that surgery. And I'm just like generally scared of it after two C-sections. Um, so going into this, I just, I didn't want to do it. Um, to be frank, I guess. <laughs> so I went in to that surgery, believing that the worst case scenario was that I was going to wake up and be in forced menopause, which means that I would have had had a full hysterectomy because the tumors wouldn't be able to be removed without taking everything. And at the time, we didn't know if they were cysts, if they were tumors. Um, it was exploratory at best. So um, whenever I went under anesthesia, that's what I believed. Um, and that's what my family was prepped for as well. So we knew it was going to be about a five-hour surgery. So my mom and dad and sister were in town and Mark was here, obviously. Um, and I woke up an hour and a half later to the doctor telling me that when they got in there, there were tumors um, throughout my abdominal area. Um, and he didn't have permission at that point to escalate the surgery um, because we just didn't anticipate it. So he wasn't comfortable moving forward. And quite frankly, he legally couldn't move forward because he didn't have permission. Um, so what I thought was going to be the end of it was really the beginning. Um, he did biopsies on all of the masses, which were found in my omentum, which is like a fatty tissue layer. It's almost like a curtain around your organs. Um, it was found around my diaphragm and all over my reproductive organs. So um, he sent everything for pathology and we knew that there was a much larger surgery on my radar. Uh, we just didn't know how big, we didn't know what was to come. So now... <laughs> now we're to the pathology report. Um, the pathology report was low grade serous ovarian carcinoma. And that is a very rare form of, of ovarian cancer. 
It is also a newer classification for ovarian cancer. Um, it is different in the way of what we we know to be true about cancer. And what what we believe to be true is that cancer is fast growing and it is you know, just the cells are multiplying quickly. Um, low-grade carcinoma is a very slow-growing cancer. Um, the kind of the, the thought is that I probably had this for at least the whole time that I was in California, but probably longer than that. Um, I'll get to that in a second. I, I had a little outline for myself and I've just gone rogue. So um, low-grade ovarian cancer is, um, like I said, it's rare, it's slow growing, it's different. It doesn't respond to chemo as well because chemo, traditional chemos are made to fight the fast growing cells. And when you don't have fast growing cells, you just don't know if the chemo is going to work. So anyway, let me rewind. So get the diagnosis. We schedule the, the debulking, uh, surgery. That surgery happened on November 1st. Um, and I think my last episode here went live on November 30th, but I was very much like I was pre-scheduled around here. Um, I knew the surgery was coming, so I really pushed to try to get things taken care of prior to that. Um, I, yeah, it's, yeah. So anyway, November 1st comes, it's a, at least a five day stay in the hospital. I have an incision from just below my breastbone all the way past my C-section scar to the top of my pelvic bone. So I'm cut right down the middle around my belly button and then the rest of the way down. Um, they went through everything, like by everything, I mean like my body to ensure that they got as much of the visible cancer as possible. The goal was to get all of it, which they did get all visible cancer. Um, another fact that I have learned is that even though there might not be in the, even, even though there might not be visible cancer, there is invisible cancer because that's how the visible was made by the invisible cells. So he was able to get, it was a successful surgery. He was able to get, um, all the visible cancer. Um, he did a full hysterectomy the omentum. He took out the masses around my diaphragm and ended up removing my appendix because it was also covered in tumors. Um, and then luckily it was not in my lymph nodes, um, and not on my colon. So there was no like colon resection or anything like that. So I have the surgery. I'm in the hospital. It was awful. I actually had a nerve blocker when I woke up from the surgery because of the pain. And I thought I was like, I am living the dream. Like I was like, this surgery isn't so bad. Well, when the nerve blocker wore off, it was a very, very difficult recovery. Um, and a scary recovery. I couldn't look at my incision for weeks. Um, it made me nauseous. It was terrifying. So I felt like, uh, a Halloween decoration. Um, so I, make it through. They tell me that I can't. Um, and I just want to pause here. Like I realize that I am like giving you guys some like really boring timeline stuff, but my hope for this is that people will start taking things more seriously. Um, 
because we know that if this had been caught earlier, um, potentially, because I had borderline tumors and cancerous tumors, if it would have been caught at the borderline stage, I I may have not have had to worry about anything for the rest of my life. And I do want that to resonate and to like sit in your soul. Like if this had been caught earlier, I may not have had to worry about it for the rest of my life. But because it wasn't caught earlier, this is something that has changed my life forever. So moving on. Um, I recover from the surgery. I had a ton of friends and family support. Um, I wasn't allowed to travel. Um, well, <laughs> I was not, a, I was advised to not travel for Thanksgiving and we had had plans to go to, um, my husband's side of the family for Thanksgiving and everybody was coming home and it was going to be this like great Thanksgiving where everybody was back at his parents' house and I couldn't go. And I love Thanksgiving for like the community and the family time and the food, honestly. Like I was so sad when they told me I couldn't travel for Thanksgiving. Um, and that was pre-surgery. So in the midst of the, all of that, my husband's family completely readjusted their schedule um, they came from out of state and it just was, it was really meaningful. Um, and it, I'm really grateful for that, that I got to spend Thanksgiving with our whole family. And I'm just really grateful that they made those sacrifices because some of them had to try, I mean, all of them had to travel far, but some of them even further and like the, the money commitment and just all of it. It just was really, really thoughtful. And I'm really grateful for that. So whoo, I'm going to get through this, you guys. Um, so then I get through Thanksgiving and prior to Thanksgiving, gross, like nothing about some like ASMR, like sniffles. Um, prior to Thanksgiving, I had my follow-up pathology report from the big surgery. And that concluded in a recommendation for chemo. But my research had said that it was resistant to chemo and I just felt like I really really battled the the chemo discussion. I I've just unfortunately I'm really sorry about this. I'm not even going to edit it out. Like it's just going to be this is just going to be it. Um I have unfortunately witnessed a lot of family and a lot of friends endure chemo. And the effects that it has on your body to heal you, like the, you know, the end goal is to heal, but what it does to your body just is not good. And I was struggling, like really, really struggling. And I joined a support group on Facebook. Um, my best advice if you're dealing with a diagnosis like this is to do that. Um... And I had just been hearing about this Dr. G, like Dr. G, like what did Dr. G say? And um, I didn't know who that was. I just, I assumed that there was just a group of people um, demographically, nope, <laughs> geographically near each other that were all seeing the same physician. And then my sister sent me a, um, a an article and she was like, have you heard of this doctor? Um, and it was Dr. Gershitson. I have a hard, the hardest time saying his name. I'm just going to call him Dr. G. 
And he was the leader of the article. And we started digging into his name and like put some respect on this man's name because he is leading the charge for low-grade ovarian cancer. He is the, on every study, he is a part of every panel. Like he, he is the guy. And I felt compelled to, to see if I could get a second opinion. And I, I was feeling really self-conscious about that. Like his, he's with MD Anderson out of Houston, Texas. So I knew if I went that route, that meant traveling to Houston, which is why I said I was advised not to travel around Thanksgiving, but, um, I called him on, I think the, like the 18th of November and he said he could get me in on the 27th. It may have even been later than that. Um, I had such a white glove experience at MD Anderson. Uh, being in this like cancer community now, I can absolutely say with confidence that MD Anderson is a leading uh, hospital charging forward with cancer diagnoses in general. Um, and then Dr. G leading the charge for my type of cancer. So um I was super grateful to get that appointment. I ended up traveling by myself um, to Houston two or three days after Thanksgiving. So I I also want to say, I just, if any of my family is listening, like I do see the sacrifices that you make and I really appreciated coming here. And I am grateful that I felt no judgment or criticism when I chose to travel. Um, everybody supported me. Uh, they did everything they could to make sure the kids were covered down to make sure I had what I needed. Um, one of my best friends in the world, um, had been traveling for Thanksgiving and came home early. Uh, she lives in Dallas and she was the closest thing to family that I had. My goodness. And she flew into Houston and she stayed with me and went to my uh, appointment with Dr. G. So... I have my appointment with Dr. G and he was like such a great experience. I felt so energized leaving that appointment um, after being pretty down and out for a while. Um, he walked in and he's like, I called him Grandpa G after he left because he was just like so friendly and he made me feel so comfortable and I was so confident that he was going to tell me everything. Um, and I wasn't going to have to worry about anything, any unknowns after that. I need to get myself together. So Dr. G came in and I told him everything and he was like, Oh, there's another option. And he said it was such confidence. Um, it wasn't like there might be another option. Like there's things that you can consider. It was just like, there's another option. And he was like, but we'll get to that blah, blah, blah. We go through my whole appointment. I found out some things. Uh, 95% of low-grade carcinoma is estrogen receptor positive. I had been put on an estrogen patch by the physicians here in Virginia because they were trying to lessen the blow of the menopause. Um, it was made very, very clear to me at MD Anderson by the uh, physician's assistant. She's a physic or a nurse practitioner it doesn't matter. She, her name is Kimberly and 
I would feel safe with her having her as my primary physician. She would just call it like it was, but with empathy and compassion. And that goes a long way when you're dealing with something like cancer. So she made it very clear that I should not be on any type of estrogen. Um, the whole point of the hysterectomy, aside from removing the tumors, was to stop the estrogen production. And I needed to not do anything, not put creams on, not take supplements, not do anything that could influence my body to create estrogen on its own. So I can't take any of the traditional like menopausal stuff because the menopausal supplements are artificial estrogen to try to help you balance your hormones. And that helps alleviate the side effects of the menopause. So that was made very clear. I took the patch off while I was at the appointment um, and threw it in the trash. And I was like, I will never touch one of those again. And um, she, they were just very thorough. And something that like I just haven't experienced before is he was like, I. one of the big things is that he wanted his pathologist's to read my scans and he wanted, you know, their world renowned, like they are the best. And he was like, I, I trust them. Um, I, I want them to make sure that you were diagnosed correctly and that, um, you know, everything was read well. So I waited for that. Um, I was flying back the next day. Um, and the, they were going to call me in. But so what I was going to say about the the way that they made me feel comfortable, he pulled out his personal cell phone to make my appointment for the next day. I have never in my, like in recent years, just had a doctor schedule my appointment and not have to like get a call back from somebody or not have to like visit so-and-so out in the lobby. Like he was like, how does 3 PM work tomorrow? I'm like, sounds great. So I fly home, I get off the plane and, um, (laughs) something I didn't mention before is that after we got bad news or had any type of news, Mark and I went to a brewery, like from start to finish of everything happening with the diagnosis. And, um, he was like, we might as well keep it to get, like, keep the trend. So we met at a local brewery here in Virginia and we were on a conference call. Um, Dr. G welcomed my entire family onto the call. So my parents and my sister were both there. Um, and he was on the call for us, call with us for an hour and just walked through everything um, from all of my options to percentages, to studies, to all these different things. And the main focus for me was that he said that there were two avenues to take. I could do traditional chemo for six rounds and then a hormone suppressant, or I could do the hormone suppressant by itself. The They have done retrospective analysis, analysis, <laughs> analyze, I, whatever, here we are, um, that show evidence that it may not be any more productive to do chemo first than it is to just do letrozole only. And letrozole is the hormone suppressant. There is actively a study that is deciding definitively it which one is better, chemo first and then letrozole or letrozole only. 
they will not release even the preliminary results from that. Um, all we know is that as of July of 2023, they evaluated the current results. And if it was like so significant that chemo was a requirement or so significant that letrozole only was a, a good option for low-grade carcinoma, they would have canceled the study. But in July, they didn't cancel the study. So that tells us that it's still neck and neck. Um, they're still not sure. But there's proof on either side to say that it it, it could be. And it, it is productive. So, and it is treatment that works. And honestly, like whenever you Google letrozole, it says that it is a type of chemotherapy. It's a pill, um, but it is used to treat cancer. And sometimes it does like shrink tumors and kill cancer, but the majority of it is being the hormone suppressant. So we go through everything and then he leaves me with the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my entire life. And, um, that decision was to do chemo or to not do chemo. Um, the, then it, he was like, it's a 50, 50 shot. And you just never want to hear that. Like, I don't want to, like when you break a bone and this is an analogy I've used to my friends and my family to explain like the agony it is to be put in this position. But when you break a bone, they tell you to put a cast on it for six weeks and then they'll do an x-ray. And if it's healing, you'll get your cast off or, you know, whatever. When you get cancer, they tell you it's a personal decision. There is nothing about cancer that's a personal decision or should be. Um, and it boiled down to like, what was I mentally okay with doing? Because they just don't know. So the personal decision was about like what I could handle on my conscience. It wasn't about like, it wasn't the personal decision on like what was going to work for me. Um, so I struggled again. I'm seeing a, a trend in this podcast of just like fucking struggles, man. So, um, I struggled for a week. I had a couple like minty bees, a little, a couple mental breakdowns. And, you know, when you are 36 and you have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old and you're faced with the decision of what's going to save your life and they're being, you're being told that it's a personal decision. It is not easy. I can assure you of that. And I ultimately decided that I was not going to do the chemo. I feel like my body is strong. I think that I'm a fighter. I am <laughs> manifesting, willing my body to, to let the lectures all work. And if I need chemo in the future, I still have it in my tool belt. Um, so I made that decision on a date night and we celebrated the fact that there was a decision made and that I could move forward in that decision confidently. Um, I know that my, you know, I went, I went against one doctor's recommendation. Um, and I went, you know, I, I, 
I didn't have another recommendation. I just had options placed in front of me with another. So it was, it was just hard. Um, but I, I ultimately decided not to not do the chemo. And, um, again, my family has been respectful of that. Um, letrozole is, it's not chemo and I do not even want to pretend like I understand what it would be like to endure chemo, but letrozole, I, I don't even want to say, but, and letrozole has side effects and menopause has side effects and these things are hard and I may have hair on my head, but I still have cancer and that's kind of takes me back to my little outline that I made, which is, you know, maintaining normalcy, the navigating emotions of it all and figuring out how to move forward because I still feel sick. Um, you know, I recovered from the surgery for the most part. I still, I've been cleared, uh, thank God from, you know, that everything is healing appropriately. Uh, but I am now dealing with the side effects of the medication, which include, uh, severe hot flashes, bone pain, and like this, the only way I can describe it is just like dog tired. Like the fatigue of it all is outrageous. And I just recently am trying to get back into like moving my body, but like full disclosure, I had a really hard day today and didn't get, I took my kids to school and then I didn't get out of bed until upwards of like 1 PM. Uh, so it's ebbing and flowing. Uh, I don't know where I fit in to this community. Um, I am very good at, and I will be forthcoming with this information that I, I'm really good at supporting others. Um, I'm really good at figuring out what people need, but doing that for myself is foreign. Um, allowing myself to rest and have a day where I lay in bed all morning, um, is foreign. Uh, having hair is foreign in this community. Like I, I know that seems like so trivial and silly, but when you're, when I thought chemo was the only option, I realized how much of my identity is wrapped in my hair and like call it vanity. Like I'll own it. Sure. Um, so I just, I was on the struggle bus and now I'm trying to figure out where I fit in. And I think that the one place that I'm confident in is my community. And the other place that I'm, that I'm, the other thing that I'm confident about is my transparency and my honesty. So I'm just trying to do that. That's why we're here. That's why I'm recording this like rambling podcast episode to end my season two and let you guys understand what I've been going through the past few months. So, um, I also went back to therapy this past week. Um, I, Mark and I had been in therapy, uh, prior to the diagnosis, um, just because we'd had a really hard, um, deployment and we were trying to reconnect, uh, after being away for essentially 
I mean, his, his deployment was months long, but in addition to that, the workup was two years long, essentially. So we were like going through our own stuff anyway. So like life was hard before that. Um, and we're not like, we're no, we're not new to therapy. We, Mark is like a huge advocate for it. And we've bounced in and out of therapy our entire marriage, just most of the time for maintenance and reconnection and just being self-aware enough to, to know that as a couple, we, we needed a third party. So we took a break at the diagnosis because I just, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the balance of it all. Um, and I was feeling pretty good. And then last week I just had like a full week of, I think I cried every day and things just get like, they start to feel really scary and really overwhelming. And when you add in like regular life stressors and like still trying to find our groove post-deployment after a, a, you know, a cross-country move and um, just a lot of other personal life stuff. Like I can definitively and with confidence say that 2023 was the hardest year of my whole life. Um, So I was like, you know what? I should go back to therapy. And if you have been here from the beginning, um, Lindsay from Married to Military, her business is called Married to Military, but she's a PhD in psychology and she's a really great therapist and life coach. And I just highly recommend her. Um, like shameless plug, I, I, I do not get like any types of kickbacks for that. It's just genuine, um, genuine thoughts and feelings about what she's doing and um, where she landed and I'm just really happy to have her as an outlet and literally just like having access to her has given me um, a little piece of my sanity back and a little piece of my peace back. Um, so I'm just really thankful that that um, we're privileged and we're fortunate enough to be able to afford it um, because handling this on my own or like... <laughs> constantly putting this on my friends and family, like feels too heavy for me. Like I don't want, they would do it. Like everybody wants me to do it, but I am just, I want to navigate through this with as many like relationships intact. And I just think that my expectations are sometimes skewed by my anxiety and my stress. So having a third party who can help me like weed through that is really, really helpful. Um, so I'm just really grateful for therapy. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I don't even know like what I started on that. Um, so the, the next steps, like what, what is it for me? Uh, I, <laughs> I'm actively taking off of a sweater. I'm taking a sweater off right now because I'm having a pretty bad hot flash, but my hot flashes are induced by stress. So crying doesn't help Cassie get it together. Um, but anyway, you guys are, yeah, I hope you feel like you're like talking to me, like listening to a voicemail or something. I don't know, but, um, what is next? I have now been on letrozole for a month. Um, I spoke to my oncology team and they told me that I should expect to see the side effects taper off around three to four months. Um, and if they don't, we can start talking about additional medication that will help alleviate the side effects of the medication. But the advice I've been given for now is that the longer I can 
go without treating them, the quicker they will taper off. Um, because if you're treating them, you're not allowing your body to regulate itself. So that's where I'm at. I'm trying to find some sense of normalcy, trying to exercise and move my body, um, focus on what's important. Um, my 2024 year, um, or sorry, my 2024 word of the year is heal. Um, and that is so deep (laughs) and, um, yeah. So the, the things I want for anybody listening to this, specifically women, because it's ovarian cancer, but, um, there are no, there are no like definitive, if you have this symptom, this is ovarian cancer. Um, everything can be talked away and like, hear me when I say everything can be talked away. I dealt with what I thought was anxiety for a year and I did have anxiety, but the anxiety was triggering, um, symptoms in my body, like IBS, like, Hey, we're talking about being transparent. Like every time I would have like a bout of anxiety, I would get IBS and I, after surgery, I have not had any of that. And I can assure you I've had plenty of anxiety. So it's led me to believe that like the IBS was a cancer symptom, not an anxiety symptom. Um, my abdominal pain. So something that I learned through this is that the ovaries make more masses and cysts and tumors than any other organ in the entire body. Like what? Like why, why isn't it not standard of care? Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. So it can all look very normal stuff, like normal, like I'll take care of that after everybody else is taken care of. What I want for the people listening and my friends and the women in my life is to just demand more, um, if you're having any, like at your annual, like pelvic exam, ask them to do a transvaginal ultrasound, especially if you have a history of cysts. Ask them to do a blood test called a CA125. It's the closest thing to a detection blood test that we have right now. God, I hope by the time that this is live, we have something new, (laughs) but for right now, that's the only thing and it's faulty. It is not an end all be all, but there's a normal range that that blood test should be in. And if it's outside of that range, it will at least get you the attention you need to rule out cancer. So CA125 tests should be standard care for women, especially women with history of cysts. Um, transvaginal ultrasounds, just like pay attention to your body and find answers, like, like demand answers. Our healthcare system is not great. Um, it has its flaws. The people that we're dealing with are humans. So of course, like they're a little bit jaded sometimes, I think to like things that they've seen most often and just don't allow that to be okay. Um, the 
the other lessons I want, like lessons to your community uh, from someone with cancer is don't weaponize a diagnosis as a means for sympathy. So what I mean by that is I've lost friends, I've lost clients, um, I've missed out on opportunities all in the name of quote unquote healing. And that was not a decision that I was awarded the opportunity to make for myself. Things were taken from me, um, in the name of healing and just don't be that person for your friends and family and community and colleagues, like allow them to lead the way, allow them like trust that they're making decisions, not only that are best for themselves, but are best for the people around them. Um, a diagnosis like this makes you reflect on every piece of your life. And that, I mean, all the way down to my brides, like I was very conscious of how this was going to impact them. And if I could continue to be a wedding photographer and all of those things. And my virtual assistant um, side of my business, like, could I show up like I wanted to show up? And I just encourage you, whether it's about like, if you invite them to go out to dinner, or if you are planning a trip and want them to come, like, leave the decision in their hands and trust that they have you in mind if that decision is somehow impactful to you. So <laughs> I just want to say that right now, I as <laughs> I know that I've cried a lot here, but like day to day, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I am putting one foot in front of the other. I, I really, really appreciate all the support that I've received and continue to receive and all of the love, like talk about like wanting to make sure you have the best people around you. There's nothing that's more proof of that than just having people show up and be there. And whether literally or figuratively, like I have just, I have been surrounded by love and I've been shown grace and patience and kindness. Um, and I appreciate that. So what's to come is a really great season of the Mastermind Mixer season three. Um, I am re, you know, in addition to just healing from 2023, you know, with, with 2023 leaving comes 2024, which is optimistic and positive and encouraging. And I have a lot of plans and I'm going to um, kind of restructure how the Mastermind Mixer shows up in your, um, your podcast feed and how I structure the episodes. And I just, I hope that you stick around, especially after this like very weepy podcast episode. So I love you guys. Um, I love that you're here. I especially love that you're here through trying to grow and build a business and find your community and all of it. Um, we're in the messy middle y'all and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm right there with you. So if you need me, you can find my contact information in the show notes and otherwise I'll see you at the top of season three.